You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. This is our first episode back after a summer break, during which our host, Ron, and his wife welcome their third child to the world, little Margot. Our guest today is Michael Kanick, president and chief flag bearer of Making Strategy Happen, a consulting firm that helps committed leaders of mid-market companies turn ambition into strategy and strategy into reality. His recent book, Ruthless Consistency, reached the top of two bestseller lists and was selected by the Enterprisers Project as one of 10 leadership books to stretch your skills in 2021. Furthermore, this summer, Michael's book became available on Audible. Michael has delivered over 600 presentations on strategy and execution to audiences on four continents and is a former national championship winning college football coach who has a PhD in the psychology of human performance. In this episode of Scaling Culture, Ron and Michael discuss how best sports teams have lots in common with high-performing organizations with great culture, how to create an environment where everyone is focused, committed, and engaged with the overall mission, purpose, and goals, why strategic initiatives fail, and how to use constructive accountability to drive the right decisions and actions. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett, and today I'm very excited to have Michael Kanick with us. Michael, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks. Uh, you know, it's funny. Um, I was excited when, when you said, look, I'm in Vancouver today because I, I feel like it's been a long time since I've had a fellow Canadian on this show or even somebody who's in Canada. So I'm very excited. Today's good. This is good energy for me for Friday. Well, good to be with you. And when I found out you were from Halifax, Halifax is one of my favorite places in Canada. Yeah, it, it is a beautiful place, right? Yeah. I love it. Well, so look, Michael, as, 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 as president and chief flag bearer of Making Strategy Happen, I was curious, tell me more, you know, let's let's talk about what is uh, Making Strategy Happen. And, and I do want you to circle back to chief flag bearer. I've never heard that and I'd like <laughs> you to unpack it for me. Sure. Well, at Making Strategy Happen, we help we work with committed leaders, emphasis on the committed, to turn ambition into strategy and strategy into reality. And we've all been through the strategic planning charade. You know, we get all everybody together, we get all amped up, we develop a plan, and then the plan, you know, kind of, yeah, exactly, goes downhill and we get back to work. So I decided, you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, we've got to make strategy, you know, come to life. So our focus is really helping strategy, you know, turned into reality. That's what we've done with companies over the past almost 20 years now. Chief flag bearer simply means that this really is something I want to communicate to people. This is what I give you know speeches on. It's what I've written about. Everything to do with how do we turn strategy into reality and not just develop those strategic plans that sit on a shelf. Mm-hmm. Well, well, that's interesting. And before we get into some topics, can you tell us how, how do you, because I, I found this interesting, you said those who are committed. Mm-hmm. How do you figure out if someone's committed? What, what What's the line of saying? How do you know if I'm committed or not to this? You know, I'll ask them about their past experience. You know, what have they done? What has worked? What hasn't worked? Why? What have you done differently? What do you do to improve yourself? How do you make sure you're not repeating the mistakes of the past? So I like to shine a spotlight on these, you know, leaders and CEOs and business owners. And because at the end of the day, it, it comes down to them. What they do drives everything. And I like to emphasize it's your commitment as a leader that really sets the tone for the organization. So we're going to put a spotlight on you and make sure that your practices and everything you say and do is aligned with what you're trying to create. 
But, but what if what if their past doesn't show the commitment that they now are committed to because of an aha moment that they had? How do you know that they're committed to the future without really knowing? You know, how do you because that's got to be the case sometimes. Look, I've not been a servant leader. I've not really been committed, but nothing's worked. It's time for me to commit. Or does that right. answer the question? You know, well, you know, is there a triggering event, as you said, you know, something that triggers a fundamental change? But if not, if I'm not convinced, Frank, I won't work with them. You know, I'll right. say, you know, you, you may not be ready for this. Maybe you need to just get someone to help you develop a plan and see what happens. But, you know, I really need to see that sense of commitment either in their background or, as you pointed out, if they have a triggering event, something to say, you know what, I'm sick and tired of these plans that sit on shelves, of change initiatives that flounder. I'm not going to put up with it anymore. So if they're at that point of pain, you know, where they're just tired of what's been done in the past and they're, they're done, then I get a sense, okay, now you're ready to change. Interesting. And, you know, obviously you've got, you know, a few different things, execution strategy, but culture is a big part of what you are advising on. Yes. What was your aha moment, Michael? Why did you bring culture into that? Because sometimes that doesn't fit with, you know, with, with coaches or, or companies that provide strategic direction and leadership stuff. It sometimes is missing culture. Why culture? What was your aha moment to bring that in? Well, two things really came together to help that. One was uh, at university, I played football and then coached football and really got a sense of that team environment. And I remember one year pl playing on you know, our team, we did not have a good culture. We didn't call it culture at the time, but you could just tell there wasn't alignment. People weren't really you know, uh, working together. It was very individualistic and the team underperformed as a result. Another season, we had a team that the coaches had really, you know, emphasized team. We had come together very well. There was trust. There was focus. There was shared, uh, you know, goals and values. And it became clear that that was, you know, that was really a key to success. The other thing that drove my appreciation of culture was my, uh, my academic studies. I, my doctorate is in the psychology of human performance. What are the factors that affect performance? You know, how well people perform. And you get a sense in any group or organization environment, it's critical that all the things that impact people point them in the same direction and align with the other people in the organization. So, you know, fortunately, early on, I got a strong sense that, you know, culture, even though we didn't call it culture at the time, really does count. And so let's stay on sports for a sec. You have some experience that you draw in your practice today from coaching sports teams, what are those particular things that you're drawing uh, for that you're bringing forward that, that really just really align and make sense? Cause I love going back to sports teams. I think, you know, there was a speaker, Jack Daly one time said junior high sports teams, high performing ones outperform right. from a performance standpoint, have right. better strategies, initiatives, et cetera, than, than half of the corporations in North America. Right. So the number one thing is focus. You know, teams, you know, sports teams have a clear focus. What are we trying to accomplish? And in business, we often, you know, dilute that by saying, well, work on this, do this, do that. We don't give people a strong sense of what is the overarching focus? What are we trying to accomplish? What are the goals? What is expected of you as an individual? So in sports, we connect the dots very well. You know, I know how what I do as a player impacts our team and how that impacts the result. In business, we don't, we don't do that as often. So one of the things I always emphasize with leaders is you've got to connect the dots. What is that overarching purpose? What are the goals we're trying to achieve? And what do we expect of each person as an individual? So once we have that focus, then what is it we need to do in terms of commitment? And you know everybody says they're committed, 
you know, but the reality is, Ron, you know, people are, you know, we've got a lot of different competing interests and things pulling at us. So there's a notion of, of sacrifice. Are you willing to do what it takes to win? You know, coaches like to say there's a big difference between the will to win and the will to do what it takes to win. So as players, are we willing to do what it takes, which is the, you know, the things where maybe we don't like to do or we don't want to do or we're uncomfortable doing, but are we willing to do those in service of what we're trying to achieve? So, you know, there's commitment, there's focus. You know, those are a couple of the big things that I find really, you know, roll over from the, uh, the sports, you know, environment mm-hmm. to a business or work environment. Yeah, interesting. And so when you think of, of and you talked about, this in, from a sports context, but creating an environment which is aligned, you know, trying to create business you know, with the mission uh, goals, et cetera. Right. At a high level, what do we do that? And I assume that some of this comes back to, to your book, Ruthless Consistency, and being consistent with the message, but maybe I'm wrong. Right, exactly right. And there are five things we need to do to create that right environment. And by right environment, what I, what I mean, Ron, is a culture of engagement and performance, because we have to have both engagement and performance. So to create that environment, five things. Number one, we have to align people. Next, we have to equip them. We have to make sure we're coaching them, not just managing them. We're supporting them and we're valuing them. And maybe I can take a a minute just on each one. But when I say align, I come back to when I mentioned purpose, goals, and expectations. Are they very clear on what is the big picture? How does what I do connect to that big picture? So we have to get them aligned that way. We have to make sure the incentives we're setting up, the psychological incentives are aligned with it. And the big one we always overlook is we don't remove the disincentives that keep good people from changing. The mixed you're talking, messages. You're, you're talking about the carrot versus the stick, essentially. Psychologically, though. So I'm not talking about, you know, carrot stick as in, you know, kind of money punishment, but psychologically. So as an example, why is it people don't like change? Is it because they're bad people or resistant? Typically, the number one reason is fear, right? Fear of the unknown, right? That's a natural disincentive to change. So if we want to get people aligned for change, we have to remove that disincentive. How do you remove the disincentive of the fear of the unknown? You have to over-communicate. Yeah, trust and over-communicate during times of change. So, you know, if we first, we have to get people aligned. So that means that, you know, connecting the dots, uh, removing those disincentives, tapping into the psychological incentives, such as can they feel good about what they're achieving? Do they feel they have the autonomy, the purpose? And sorry, Michael, and maybe I miss this, but part of that alignment is getting that messaging down. What is the company purpose? What is the mission? You, you really need those foundational messaging, right? Absolutely. Yeah, Otherwise, okay. Ron, there's nothing to align with. Right, right. Got it. It starts with that core messaging. Exactly yeah. right. So we have to get that core in place. What are we trying to accomplish? What is our purpose? Then what do we expect of you as an individual? So, you know, aligning is first. Second part of the model I talk about in the book is equipping people equipping them to succeed, not setting them up to fail. And too often, we don't provide people with sufficient knowledge, skills, resources, and authority, right? It's not that more is better, but we have to provide them with sufficient knowledge, skills, resources, and authority, because it's very frustrating to people when they want to do a good job, but they don't feel like you've given them the tools to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I was thinking about when you said that is, you know, what's the balance between, you know, we, we are trying to crush this industry. You know, we, we're trying to build this unicorn company and we're, you know, trying to change an industry. 
high expectations, but let's not set people up for failure, but let's push the envelope. How, how are you coaching leaders to find balance there? Right. So the, I find more leaders will under-resource people than over-resource them. You know? So first of all, that's the natural tendency. And the question is, again, do they have sufficient? So to find the balance, don't think you have to throw money at problems. Don't think you just have to throw resources at problems. Often that won't do it. But the question is, what is the minimum necessary we need in terms to achieve of that goal to achieve. And I like to use those terms. What's the minimum necessary, you know, don't throw more necessarily more than the minimum because then you're wasting resources. But if you don't provide people with what's necessary, you know, then they're going to feel frustrated. So, so what's sorry, the minimum I, necessary? I want to make sure I'm following this. I think I get that, but does that still um, play out for a goal? So, okay. I'm the sales manager and, and I have a goal for maybe I need tools to achieve it, find some CRM, but the goal is a million in revenue for the quarter. And so Ron, go right. for it you right. know, versus like, you know, how do you balance that? These big, big goals, big project goals with timelines on them, you know, like using that smart acronym, right. uh, you know, and, and unpacking the attainable part. Cause I've certainly been guilty of that pushing the team. And then we're three quarters out and I've, I've just maybe pushed too hard in the past. Mm-hmm. And the goals were so lofty that there is this, ah, oh, man, you can never make it, you know, like what's, what any strategies around balance? There's a question I love to ask leaders to, to find that. And the question is, ask your people, why will this fail? Why will this fail? It's a counterintuitive question. It gets their attention. But, you know, they've seen, they know the history. They know the culture. They know why things have succeeded and fail, failed. Be honest. Tell us why you think it will fail. And then as a leader, you get to evaluate. Is this something legitimate? Is this something we need to address up front? You know, if everybody's saying, well, we've we've never had enough uh, information on the new product, we're never given enough information, you know, to sell, or maybe it's we don't have the back end support, whatever it is, by asking people, why will this fail, makes it, you know, acceptable for them to tell you what they need, and then you get to decide as a leader. Well, that seems to tie in directly to change management and, and why initiatives may fail by not asking that question, right? It gives a leader, I love that question, and, and it must help keeping initiatives or big goals alive. Exactly. Because we're often focused on here's what we need to make it work. And we often overlook here's the things that will cause to fail. You've got to play offense and defense to go back to the sports analogy, you know, you talked about. And it's one thing to say, yeah, we're going to score. We've got to, you know, we're going to do this. But are we playing defense as well? Are we preventing failure as much as we're working to create success? I I like that because we I think what we've done in the past is asked a softer version of that question in, in our companies. And that has been, well, Michael, great. You know, here's the goal. We agree to that. But what do you see as some of the roadblocks? That's not as powerful as how would this fail? I like that. You've really kind of brought that to the next level. It gets people's attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it pushes them to say, how could this really fail? Like that, not just, well, you know, this one conversation with Tony's going to make be a roadblock. No, how does this fail? That's a, that, right. I like that. Yeah. And then when people come up with those things, you have to reinforce them, thank them for bringing up what might be a little controversial, right? So it makes it safe for them to tell you their honest views, why they think it will fail. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them all the time, but it means you're respecting their input and their opinion. No, that's right. So so we're in a, a session and you bring up a why it will fail. And the what I'm going to play this back. The wrong thing is, Michael, like, what are you crazy? That There's no way that's <laughs> going to happen versus, look, thank you so much. I appreciate the feedback. We need to be thinking about things like that. Thanks for having the courage to bring that up. Exactly right. Because otherwise, you Did I get a gold if, star there. How do, how do I do you, that? That is a gold star, Ron. Absolutely. Because if you don't do that, 
then and if you you know you know put down the person who brings up the why it will fail do you think anybody else is going to speak up no way right right so you, you've killed it right so you've got to make it create a safe environment to speak what might be uncomfortable or what you might not agree with but you're much better getting that information on the table than having them go off to the break room after and going that'll never happen you know, because mm-hmm. that's what people do. They often don't tell you to your face, but they go off to the break room and tell their buddies, oh, oh, boy, that won't work. So that's not what you want. No, but that brings me to another topic because, you know, there's going to be speed bumps. There's going to be bumps in the road. And I know you talk about constructive accountability, right? And so right. let's talk about that because you we don't want someone, you know, doing what you just talked about. <laughs> that's right. Well, accountability is one of those things most organizations struggle with. And, you know, they'll say, hey, here's what we're going to do. And they invest in resources and technology and this and that. But the reality is, Ron, the moment they don't hold people accountable is the moment they send the message, this is optional. Do it if you feel like it. Don't do it if you don't. So, you know, part of it- I will also say that's when high performance goes out the window, right? Absolutely. Because Mm -hmm. the real reason you have to hold people accountable isn't for those few people. It's because it demotivates everyone else. That's the real cost. So why don't we do it? Because it's uncomfortable. It's confrontation. So I think we need to change our mindset around accountability. And what I like to call it is constructive accountability, because the purpose isn't to berate people. It's not to belittle them. The purpose of holding people accountable is to help them improve, succeed, get better, succeed, Mm -hmm. achieve. Absolutely. So think of it as constructive accountability. So we need to change our mindsets and you have to go into this as a coach, not a manager. And I know you've talked about this too. You're a coach, not a boss. Well, similarly, you know, as a coach, you know, you need to take responsibility for the performance of their people, you know, of your people. Coaches ask, what do I need to do to help each person, you know, improve? So with constructive accountability, you know, I want to make sure we're approaching people in a constructive way. We're saying, you know, here's the common goal. Let's confront reality in a very objective way. How can I support you, right? It's important to ask that. How can I help you succeed? What do you need from me? How can I support you? Which, sorry, Mike, I want to just jump in for a sec because I find this interesting because I I was trying to think about which of these questions are inside and which are outside. So for instance, I certainly ask a lot, hey, Michael, how do I help you through this? But inside, I feel like saying, hey, if my job, how how can I help Michael do that? Like that, that I'm going to have a different answer than you, right? right. Are you suggesting that it, you should be asking yourself this question and potentially the person who might have a different perspective? Absolutely, both. Because right. you, you know, what you think is the th- they need may not be what they say they need, right? Correct. You want to get their input. You've got your own ideas. Then again, you get to decide. But more importantly, it sends a message to them that you're not just out to get them, you know, or you're not trying to get rid of me, that you really are concerned about them being successful. So it's the message you're sending and doing that. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything they ask for, but at least says, you know, how can I help you? What do you need to succeed? Let's talk about this. And then if you can demonstrate support, they're more likely to be confident, to feel confident in improving. I was, I was talking about this. I was doing a, a, a webinar for a coaching group yesterday, and, and I talked about a strategy that I use on tough conversations. Learn from a coach of mine, Mara Benzili, uh, Benzuti. Benzuti? I don't know. Can't pronounce. Mara, I'm sorry. Your last name's very challenging for someone who's dyslexic. And so she, always, she had taught me this, and it, it really changed how I had these tough conversations, the opener. So, for instance, we're back, you know, we're, we're role-playing a little bit here. Yeah. So, Michael, you're, you're the salesperson, but my opening – 
was all, you know, would always be kind of like, you know, how can I help you? I'd kind of start that way. But, but after some coaching from her, I started to open with the intention and making sure that the intention brought you in closer to me and that, you knew the intention was for you. So for instance, you know, fast track that to today, fast forward. Hi, Michael, my intention of this conversation is to make you the best salesperson you can be better than I ever was and to coach you to be the best. And that seems to, that is kind of one up my, some of my conversations and, and built uh, trust right away. What do you think of that strategy? I think it's very good. And why is because it creates two reasons. It creates a future focus right. as opposed to let's talk about your performance, you know, which is a past focus. And it's like, oh, what is this going to be? So it's focused on the future and it's right. Positive. It's positive. So again, we're forward looking. We have good intentions. We expect good uh, outcomes and results. So I think anything that sets that tone is very good. It's future oriented, it's positive oriented. Then the conversation is, okay, how do we get there? And then past performance is simply the context, the starting point, the baseline for what we need to achieve. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you know, what, what are you seeing is the biggest culture uh, challenge today with some of your customers? What, what is the thing that you just keep seeing the problem you have to keep solving? What's that core issue in some cases, Michael, generally? Well, inconsistency, mm. mixed messages, right? We say something's important. You know, we give people a clear direction, but we don't give them the tools to execute it. Or we give them lots of skills, but we don't give them the authority to apply the skills. We say, you know, we're really committed to these values, but we don't hold the top performer accountable when they don't, you know, they don't live up to the values. So it's that inconsistency. It's the mixed messages we send. That Side conversations, people. right? Exactly, right? And that's what erodes culture. That's what erodes trust. And that's what erodes, erodes performance ultimately. So I'm just, again, that's why I call the book Ruthless Consistency. Mm. And, and that doesn't mean robotic repetition of everything, Ron. What it means is this, this unwavering commitment, this alignment of intentions, decisions, and actions. We're continuously, relentlessly aligning intentions, decisions, and actions. Everything is pointed towards the same goal. I like that. And I feel like we're aligned, you know, ruthless consistency. That's why I used in, in my first book, Outrageous Empowerment. Yes, you know? yes. Yeah, I love that. That's great. Yeah, um, yeah that, that makes perfect sense. And, and that, you know, even those skills as leaders and entrepreneurs and like myself, you know, we, we are shiny object syndrome. It's hard for us to stay focused. I feel like just the action of that, there's this other, you know, thing, this, there's that other impact that you might not see when you do that, which is just the the art of being a little more disciplined and staying focused, which we all need help with. Right. And here's a key, I think a key point that I emphasize often with leaders. It's not the almost, it's not the non-priorities that, you know, that, that kill you, that take away your focus. It's the almost top priorities, the things that are almost at the top of the list that, you know, take away your attention from those other things. Let me give you an example, you know, a famous story of a Warren Buffett, who's uh pilot came to him one time for career advice, right? You know, career. Buffett says, well, three steps. Number one, write down your top 20 career goals. So he writes them down. He says, step number two, circle the top five. So he circles the top five. And he said, the key to success is number step number three. The ones that you didn't circle become the avoided all cost list. 
right? The ones you didn't circle become the avoid at all cost list because they cannot be siphoning energy and attention from the five you decided were the, the most important. So again, it's the almost top priorities that kill us. So with leaders, we, you know, you talked about the shiny objects and that, that's what we have to instill in them. And that's why I said committed leaders, those who have the commitment reflected in the discipline to focus, align, and execute. It's interesting you say that. I think that's spot on. I, I don't know where, where I read that or heard that, but I heard that story. That's a very powerful story. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's funny. Um, we just had a, a team meeting before I jumped onto this podcast. And, you know, I'm, I'm similar to uh, my career in the private security company uh, industry, very decentralized, frontline leader empowerment. I'm following, I'm doing the same thing. I've got a, <clears throat> my main focus is a company called Vita Living does affordable living across Canada and now getting into the US. And so our model is based on the, our building ambassadors, frontline leaders. And I right. was just, because, you know, for me, the ruthless consistency of saying how important it is that we service them like customers, they run the company. If they, if, if we don't support them, they don't get support, they don't do the job and the customer is unhappy and nobody here has a job then. You know, like, and so, because there is this competing Whoa, 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 Ron, that's soft stuff. That's soft stuff. That's not why you hired me. I'm, I do this function and I need to be focused. And so sometimes there's pushback on, wow, that's, you know, I find the tension internally of saying, well, you, you know, my, I know what my job is. I have to deliver, but now you're pulling me towards this thing that isn't two plus two is four, you know? Right. Until we get to a point where we live in a totally automated world, and we hope that that, that doesn't come where it's totally, everything's automated, we're relying on human beings. And I can tell you, you know, one of the things I've learned very clearly over the years is, you know, you, you, know, you hire employees, but human beings show up to work, which means we have to deal with the emotional side as well as the rational. Right? right. And people's right. psychology. And sometimes to your point, people say, well, you know, we're, we, we know we don't shouldn't deal with the emotional. We need to deal with the rational. My response is dealing with the emotional is rational because it's rational to recognize that we have, you know, these two sides of us. There's the human side and there's the technical side. Right. And you can't deal with one without the other. And, you know, there's been a lot of evidence and we see this in a lot of businesses, unless you deal with, you know, do people, do customers feel good about your company? Do employees feel good about their work environment? We have to make sure we're tapping into those things. Yeah, but there is this consistency thing. Like even when I said my message today, I said, I haven't been as consistent as I need to be with that message. It's a consistency problem for me, you know, right. uh, you know, and I, I told a story in, in my in, in the private security business, it was command and control hierarchy. You know, if you're at the top, then, then, you know, you told people what to do and when to do it and why to do it. Sometimes you didn't even say why, you know, very command and control. And, and, and I was just telling a story to our team. I said, look, I know I don't need to say this today to our team, but in the past, because that was so anchored in the industry, what I would tell new managers is Michael, welcome to the company, you know, blah, blah, blah. One thing that's very important is, if, if, if I catch you treating me any differently than, than any of the full part-time security guards in this company, then there's no conversation. Just put your keys in the desk and, and the door's over there. And I used to be that ruthless with that. <laughs> I'm not like that today, but I reminded our team that that was needed because of the industry, we don't need that today, but, but the, you know, I certainly had to reinforce the message. And I think I have to do a better job being consistent with the message because sometimes it's burning in my head. In my head, that's the vision, the mission, you know, yes, we do it when we talk about the company and hiring and onboarding and blah, 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 but, but it, you, you just need to keep pounding that message, eh? 
Absolutely. Because, you know, one of the principles I talk about in the book is what you do as a leader is not as important as what your people experience. The mistake we often make is it's clear to us. We understand, right? We've thought through the options, the pros and cons were clear to us. We assume it makes perfect sense to them. Well, it doesn't. So we have to keep repeating and reinforcing the message. It has to make sense to them because they're the ones doing the real work. Right. They're implementing the change. They're you know providing the service, right? We have to make sure it makes sense through the eyes of our people. So as leaders, don't be, we shouldn't be self-centered. We have to recognize that what we do isn't as important as what our people experience. That's what we're trying to create. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Michael, what else um, that we haven't talked about? We've been down a few lanes, uh, some great conversation. What else that we haven't talked about that you think would be important for our listeners today? Well, one of the things that always comes to mind with culture, and I know this is a you know passion of yours, Ron, is you may have heard the term culture eats strategy for breakfast. All the time. Believe it. Right, all the time, right? Right. And so I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to give you a bit of a contra view here because I don't believe that. Oh, we're up for a debate. Hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Right. Okay, okay. Me, the gloves are off. We're ready to going. Go. Okay, go, go. Here's the way, Here's why. If you have a great culture, but you don't have performance, you've got a country club. If you've got great performance, but not a great, but bad culture, you've got a sweatshop. But if you have culture and performance, you've got a real, you know, kick butt organization. So in my world, I believe in the triad, strategy, culture, execution. You need all three. All are necessary. I don't say one is more important than the other. It's like saying, what do you need? Do you need is what's more important, sales or, or operations? Well, you need both sales and operations, right, in, in most businesses. So I really believe that all three of them are critical. So I'm kind of contrary to that stra- uh, culture eat strategy for breakfast. <laughs> no, I was ready for a fight, but I, I think I say it differently, but we're saying the same thing. Uh, so I can't, I, I'm putting my gloves, I'm, I'm taking them off. Michael, I was ready for a bot. I, I love to scrap too. I was ready. Uh, so I, I believe that you have to be strategic about your culture. So they're kind of, and I believe that performance needs to be embedded in your culture. So I think we're saying the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. strategy and culture and execution, because at the end of the day, again, you can have a great culture, you can have a great strategy. Are we executing? So it's really that triad. And that's what I really instill in the companies that I consult with. You know, we have to make sure all three of those are aligned. We are focused on those. And if collectively we do that and instill that in our people, we will be a winning organization. Well, we're still saying the same thing because I say that you don't have a good culture if you can't execute. Yeah. Okay. Right. So it's not to me, the final piece is if you can't execute, come on, it's words on the wall now, if you can't execute. So to me, you don't get, you don't score points in my book if you can't execute. Right. Exactly. We're aligned, my friend. No scrapping. Okay. Today. We're good. Okay. We're on, we're on the same side of the, the battlefield. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> Michael, look, uh, thanks for joining us today. It's been a lovely conversation uh, with a fellow Canadian. And you are, are you Canadian, by the way? You're, I am. Yeah. Born yeah, and okay, raised I in Vancouver. So. I mean, yes. I, I've lived in Atlanta and Denver and different places, mm-hmm. but yeah, born and raised uh, in Canada. Okay. And you've got a home in, in uh, Denver, Vancouver. correct? Exactly. Oh, yeah, but, as well. Yeah. 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 Great. Well, look, Michael, it's been a pleasure. Uh, love, uh, I'm actually at page seven in your book, so I'm going to keep moving through. I'm more excited to read it now. And I think it, uh, I, this has also been eye opening for me as I need to be even more consistent with my messaging. So thank you. Excellent. Real pleasure. Hey, thanks for having me, Ron. Thanks, Michael. 
For more information about Michael, please go to www.makingstrategyhappen.com or connect with him on LinkedIn. For more information about the Scaling Culture podcast or our upcoming masterclass or second book, Scaling Culture, go to ConnellyOwens.com. And if you're enjoying the Scaling Culture podcast, please subscribe and share with your network. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest.